I want to start, just take a second, and thank you all for your wonderful prayers for Kelly and I. Some of you will know that we were out of town for the past couple weeks in the Central African Republic, uh, doing some work over there. It was a very good trip. We're excited to talk about the trip. It was a very hard trip, uh, and in many ways, Kelly and I are still recovering, uh, so you might want to be patient with us here for another couple of days as we uh, continue to get our feet under us. Uh, we were very challenged by uh, the experiences, by what the Lord revealed to us over there. It was a, a very encouraging trip for us, very challenging in many ways. Um, we feel like the ministry in which we were able to do was both effective uh, and useful. Um, it was it was well received over there, but it was a it was a, a a very challenging thing. Of course, the overwhelming best part of it was again just to be exposed to the breadth of our God. Um, if you're like me, without wanting it to happen, your world closes in around you. Um, the things that are dominating in your mind are the things that dominate in our hearts and in our prayers. That's what we see because they're right in front of us. I don't think that's bad. That's kind of how we're created. Um, so that's the natural effect of this. But I do think that we need to consistently take the effort to get outside of ourselves. Uh, and I, both Kelly and I thank you very much for the opportunity to go outside of ourselves and to experience something that was very different here um, and to be challenged by it as we have been. So thank you again uh, so much for your prayers on our behalf. We appreciate that. About for the past five months or so, we've been working our way through the first five chapters of the Gospel of Mark. What we're going to do is we're going to take a break from the Gospel of Mark. We're going to do five more chapters next spring, and then we're going to wrap up the book the following spring. So we're kind of chopping up the book of Mark a little bit into three different years. Some of that is simply to keep it fresh in front of us at all times. Another part of it is because, of course, the breadth of the scriptures is that which we are called upon to communicate to one another, the fullness of the scriptures. And I want to make sure that you have uh, the exposure, and I have the exposure, to more texts than just uh, the Gospel of Mark if over the next period of time, however long that would take us to get through that. So we're looking at the Gospel of Mark basically in three spring times. And now this summer, we're going to look at the gospel, or we're going to look at the book of Psalms, as Jerry introduced us to earlier. We're going to look at the book of Psalms basically for a variety of reasons. Uh, they basically come down to the fact that in every, each and every time we interact with the scriptures, and Jerry did such a great job of punching this earlier in the worship service for us, every time we come to the scriptures, we have the expectation of being drawn into an intimate interaction with our Lord. That's basically his promise in the scriptures, and it's part of the reason why he gave us the scriptures, a major part of the reason why he gave us the scriptures, so we would be drawn into an intimate interaction with our God. Now, we expect that to happen each and every week when we're here preaching the word at worship service. We expect that to happen each and every time you open up the scriptures on your own to read in your devotional time or in small groups or in Bible studies. That's the thought process. Now, a lot of times that intimacy comes about through learning or following or understanding a little bit more about our God or his plan of redemption as we try to understand what the author was thinking. What, what's the author thinking as he's writing the scriptures? There's lots of opportunity, there will be lots of opportunity for us to think like that as we approach the book of Psalms. What's the author thinking? How can we learn more? There's lots of great theology. There's lots of biblical insight in the Psalms. But overwhelmingly, what I want us to 
have this summer, as we look at the book of Psalms, and even as you are reading the Psalms by yourselves, as Jerry has encouraged, is not just an, an understanding of what the author is thinking, but I want you to experience what the author is experiencing. That's part of the attraction of the Psalms, and it's part of what I want to emphasize. We could approach the Psalms from a, di- a lot of different directions, but I want to emphasize this idea of of the experience of the psalmist and the way in which we experience life very similarly. I believe that we all have that experience and out of the experience of the world around us, then I hope that we will have a greater intimacy with the Lord. So we're gonna talk a lot about, and we're gonna look, look not just at the words that the psalmist is using, but the experience that the psalmist is drawing about. And that experience will hopefully lead us into this intimacy that I'm talking about. When Kello and I were over in Africa, the part of Africa we were in had been settled by the French, uh, the colonized by the French at that period of time. And so all the people that we interacted with either spoke an African dialect, uh, one of their ethnic languages, or they spoke French. And Kelly and I, don't know French from Spanish. Like, we know no French whatsoever. And so we were completely dependent then upon the translators that would help us for simple things like when to get on the, the, the taxi, when to get in the taxi, how to eat the food that was before us, uh, what was next on the schedule. Every step along the way, we were dependent upon the translators. We were dependent on somebody to to communicate to us. And I have to tell you, it was physically represented in both of us. As soon as somebody would come up to talk to me, I would tend to lean towards the translator. I would, you know, wherever there were, I was leaning because we needed the translator so desperately in absolutely every aspect of our life. Now, what we're, the the nickname, uh, the sermon series title is Leaning into the Lord. Leaning into the Lord. And I I want you to have that experience. That's part of what I want to have develop in our lives here as we look at Psalms, is I want you to really think of yourselves as leaning into the Lord. Um, We desperately needed to do that for our translators the past couple of weeks, even for the basic necessities of life. Normally, when we wouldn't think that we are leaning into the Lord. But of course, as we work our way through the book of Psalms, I hope that you will experience the fact that in every aspect of your life, we are leaning into the Lord. Now that's somewhat evident in Psalm 1 that Jerry read for us earlier. Psalm 1 does a great job, uh, both Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 kind of function as gateway, the gateway into the Psalms or the summary of the book of Psalms. If you want to know what the book of Psalms is all about, Um, as a whole. How do you summarize all of those psalms? And if you've spent time reading the book of Psalms, you know that there's great things in there. There's tremendous and and, and tremendously moving and emotional things. There's vivid illustrations that happen all the time. There's dramatic events that are recounted across the board. If you've read the book of Psalms, if you've spent time in them, you know that they cover the gamut of life. They, They touch on almost everything. And so what I'm trying to say here is that I think you can summarize the everything simply by virtue of Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Psalm 1 puts forward for us the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. Psalm 1 sets forward that this is the way, uh, this is the choice that confronts each and every one of us. It is the way of the wicked 
and it is the way of the righteous. Most of us don't like to be pinned down just to two choices. We don't like to think that we are left only with two options that are available, that, well, we don't want to be wicked, but we don't need to be like this, so we're going to chart some kind of a middle way, some type of an alternative pathway. In God's redemption, there is no alternative pathway. There is a way of the wicked, and there is a way of the righteous. And we're going to run into that over and over again in the book of Psalms. Psalms portraying for us that dichotomy in life, that there are two options that are confronting everybody, and of course the scriptures are yearning, they're, they're begging us to play into, to be those who speak about the way of the righteous. I just said yearning. Uh, to this. This is going to happen to a lot. So I'm, I'm working with a translator. I'm preaching. And I said, you know, uh, we really yearn for the Lord. And evidently that's not an English word. Kind of looks at me like that. And boy, when that happens, I'm just utterly flustered. I was like, uh, yearn, yearn, yearn. What do I mean by yearn? So there you go. But I want you, hopefully trusting that you know what I'm talking about, I want you to yearn. We're going to yearn for the Lord and the scriptures yearn for us to pursue that way of the righteous, the way of the righteous. But who can fulfill? Who can be that kind of a person? The way of the righteous is marked by that person, according to Psalm 1, who meditates on God's law day and night. Who, who can fulfill such a task? Who can, where can we find that person, where can we find someone who has walked along the way of the righteous, that can walk with us, that can take us along that path? And that's where Psalm 2 shows up. The Psalms is really a book of Jesus. You can tell to some extent because Jesus quotes the book of Psalms more than any other book in the Old Testament. He quotes the book of Psalms about himself over and over again in the New Testament. So a thousand years, some of these psalms were written a thousand years before Christ was born. A thousand years before Christ was born, the scriptures are attesting, they are witnessing, they are proclaiming Jesus Christ. That's what we understand of all of the scriptures. That all of the scriptures have a center core, and that center core is our redemptive, the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is that central figure, and that is broadcast for us in Psalm chapter 2. Psalm 2 is all about the anointed one, the Messiah, the coming king, and it proclaims his reign in this world. As I often like to do whenever we hear God's word written, if you are able, I would encourage you to stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm chapter 2, why do the nations rage? And the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, on my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. 
Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear Father, we pray for your presence here with us at this time as we look at this text. Open to our eyes, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. The psalmist begins here by asking a question that all of us ask all the time. Now, he phrases it in a way that maybe we're not familiar with. But he asks that basic question, and if you haven't asked this question yet, give yourself a little bit of time to grow up, and you certainly will. And the question is simply this, what in the world is going on with our world? What is happening around here? Why is our society like our society? What is going on in this world? Why is it happening like this? What is going on? The author asks it by saying this, why do the nations rage? Why do the nations rage? Now, I want to get out of your mind for a second. The raging here is not ire or frustration or anger whenever you picture this, because the following lines make clear that it's taking counsel together. They plot in vain. They whisper with each other. They mutter together. They decide certain things. So the raging is not, don't, don't think ire. Don't think anger and frustration. Just think of things boiling underneath. But also, I don't want you to think that this is a national idea. Why do the nations rage? The, the point here is not, uh, you know, America against Russia or Russia against America or something like that. This is not a national statement. Uh, the, uh, of course, back in the time when the psalm was originally written, this helped, dealt with um, the psalmist looking around and saying, why do the nations that surround Israel, why are the people groups that surround God's people, why are they on a boil? Why are they so frustrated? Why do they look like they do? But this is not a national question. This is not about America and and other nations. It's also important to note, not a political statement. This is not what Democrats say to Republicans, you know, why are you guys like that? Or Republicans say to Democrats, this is not a, a political issue. This is not a national issue. This is what Christians ask. This is what Christians say of the world around them. What what is going on here? Why is this society like it is? Why is the world around us going to hell in a handbasket? Why is it falling apart like it does? And the question why that the author says here is not why as in let's investigate this. What are the reasons? Whenever somebody says, you know what, our, our society is just cuckoo right now. Why is it that, that things are changing so much? Why can't you keep anything straight? Why is it that all of the institutions, all of the expectations, all of the thoughts that I had about my, the society that I grew up in, why is everything changing and nobody can keep handle on it? Nobody wants to sit there and say, well, the philosophy of this dates back to the 1840s. Uh, you know, nobody's asking for why. And nor does the psalmist do this. The psalmist is not saying, let's talk about the reasons why the peoples around us are going crazy. The psalmist is simply saying, this is foolish. 
Why do the nations rage? Why is our society doing the things that they do? Why do people act the way they act? This is just pure lunacy. There's no way to make sense of the collapse of the world around us. It's just foolhardy up and down the line. And so the author here sits there and says, why are all these things, why is this world taking falling apart like this? It just makes no positive sense whatsoever. And I know that the author is not simply talking about those out there. Because I know that the author is also talking about me. And I know that because of the reason that the author gives that the nations are boiling and all the kings and the rulers and uh, the kings and the rulers here, they're the, the political influencers of the day, the religious, the, the social influencers of the day. They're the media, they're the bloggers, the social media folks, all the kind of things, the celebrities. Um, and all of them are, what are they doing? They're raging against the Lord and his anointed. Now, most of the people don't think of themselves as raging against the Lord. Most of the wacky ideas that are coming about in our society are not coming about because people are trying to oppose God. But they are. But they do. And again, I know that this is not an, an attack against them out there because of the reasoning they use. Look in verse 3. This is what they say. Let us burst the bonds apart and cast away the cords from us. Let us have our freedom from what God wants. God is directing and God is asserting and God is making us do these kind of things and we want to be free from them, so let's cast aside all of the burdens and all of the law. Let's not be the kind of people that just follow in the way of the righteous, but once in a while I just want to do my own thing. And that's why I know that the nations that are raging are not just the nations out there. That's why I know that the broken society that we're talking about is not the society that we're pointing our fingers out there because I know in my own heart I'm the kind of person that sometimes says, God, just let me have a few minutes here. I know that I'm not that person that meditates on God's law every day and every night. And I know from working with you that you're not those people that meditate on God's law every day and every night. And I know that if you're doing it intentionally or if you're not doing it intentionally, that very often you too are like those people that say, God, just get away and give me a little bit of time here. When the psalmist is speaking, why do the nations rage? Why is He's not pointing the finger outside alone and saying, why is all the world going wacko? He's sitting there saying, why in my own heart? Why in the people that I worship with? Why in the people that call themselves believers do sometimes we rage against God? Because why? Because of that age-old problem of pride. I can do it myself. Now it's easy to look at the world and see that so so often they go down cuckoo ideas 
because they are asserting that they think they know best. But that's what I do too. That's what you do too. Every time we wander off of the way of the righteous, the only other path that is open to us is that way of the wicked. What is God's response to that? God's response happens in the next two stanzas. There's kind of a twofold answer to that. The Lord up in heaven scoffs. He laughs. Now, we normally don't think of the Lord as laughing at our sin. But the mere fact that he laughs, the mere fact that he mocks us, the mere fact that he acknowledges the uselessness of our rebellion against him doesn't mean that he doesn't love us doesn't mean that he hasn't given himself for us. doesn't mean that he isn't passionate towards calling that lost world back to himself. That's what he does. But he also thinks it's silly. Is it really possibly true that you think that you know better in this world than the one who created it? The creature crying out, waving his finger at the Creator, saying, leave me alone, let me do my own thing. I know the best way to go. I know what is right in this situation. And the Lord scoffs. He says, no, you don't. And his response is in verse 6. How he responds then is by saying, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I have a plan I have determined that faithfulness will come through my son, Jesus Christ. I have a plan, and you can lean into that plan. You can trust in that plan. You can rely upon that plan. And so the conclusion that the author comes to in verse 10 is, Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. So now, therefore, a world that is in chaos, O church, that is in chaos. Oh, heart, that is in chaos. Be wise. Do what? Serve the Lord with fear, not terror. Serve the Lord with awe. Serve the Lord with awe. Rejoice with trembling. Rejoice as though you are standing before the God of the universe. Kiss the sun. We might think of that in terms of an intimacy or something like that or uh, you know the French kiss where you kiss each other on the side of the cheeks or something like that. Some kind of embrace the sun. Be, be intimate with the sun. Um, where we were in, in Africa, you, if you hadn't seen each other for a long time, you greeted each other by touching temples. First your left temple, you bump heads on the left side and then you would double bump on the right side. I got it backwards. Yeah, first bump on the right side, then you double bump on the left side. And when Kel and I first got there, we saw everybody kind of whacking their heads together and thought, this is going to be fun, you know, that, that kind of thing. That's not what's happening here. Kiss the sun is not, is not embrace him, it's not acknowledge him, it is humble yourself before him. Kiss the sun, acknowledge him, submit yourself to the Lord. Why? so that blessed are all those who take refuge in him. The confusion and chaos that confronts us every time we look out the door, every time we look in the mirror, 
the confusion and chaos that makes us just shake our heads and go, why? Why does this happen? The response is to lean into the promise of God that he has set his king in Jerusalem, that he has set his king on high, and that king is our Lord Jesus Christ who reigns now and forever. Let's pray together. Great God in heaven, we are thankful for the love that you give to us, for the way in which you shine your powerful blessings upon us, and for the care in which you demonstrate each and every day. Lord, we confess that we live among a people of unclean lips, that as crazy as the world looks to us, we know that we look the same way in our own eyes and certainly in yours. And so, Lord, we pray for the same redemptive power, the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, whom you have enthroned upon our lives, the ruler of this world, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.